Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the stew pot precariously levitated by Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who were not expecting the chapter in which Molly and Sirius go at each other. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing? Uh, having never felt more like Fred or George, given my tendency to flip that particular pot over. <laughs> I mean, you say that we don't expect Sirian, Sirius and Molly to go at each other, but the state of this house, and he's been living there presumably since he got out of Azkaban. I mean, like, how can how can she tolerate knowing this person, let alone that he hasn't done anything to upkeep this house? Well, you know, I there is apparently only so much he can actually do, given that certain soft furnishings are just magically glued to walls and unavailable for removing. Yeah, which are kind of fascinating. Like, anyway... We found out about a very overpowered spell. Um, <laughs> just do it with a plastic bag in somebody's face. and Oh, boy. Anyway. Uh, well, that got dark very quickly. We are now in the fifth chapter of the fifth book of Harry Potter. Uh, uh-huh. The Order of the Phoenix is the book and the chapter title as well. And we have some segments that we do here. Uh, we have a rapid-fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are questions and queries, um, which, as always, I believe there are numerous of <laughs> in this episode. No, we, we never have questions or theories. You're, you're, you're fine. No. Oh, great. Oh, Perfect. No. Excellent. We can all go have lunch. Um, yep. <laughs> so, are we, are we ready to get going? Uh, assuming you are, Sarah. I mean, last chapter was rough on you, just given the sheer amount of material that was being thrown out. This one? I wouldn't exactly call it breezy, but it seems like there's less going yes. on. Do you have I an mean, idea of what, how much time it's going to take you? So I am going to place a bet. I am still stinging okay. from my one second, less than one <sighs> second overtime last chapter. Um, so I'm going to go in hot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to place a bet. I am going to bet on one minute and 53 seconds. Precision. All right. And I get five right. plus or minus on either side of that. You do. All right. All right. We should, we should, next book, let's actually even create a rule that if you get exactly the time you bet, you get an extra point or something. That'll Perfect. Be fun. But for the time being, the stopwatch is ready if you are. Apparently, a permanent sticking charm is keeping the portrait of Sirius's mom glued to the wall. Sirius is the only black left, so much to her dismay, it's his house now, and he's given it over to Dumbledore for use as headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. Down in the kitchen, the meeting of the Order is dispersing, parchments are hurriedly being cleared away, and preparations are on for dinner. Harry's finally formally introduced to Mundungus Fletcher, who has to interrupt his apology to Harry to apologize to Mrs. Weasley for smoking in the kitchen. Tonks enthusiastically volunteers to help with dinner, but Molly is wary. Sirius is sort of the Harry Whisperer. Even as Harry uh, complains about his summer and being left out of the loop, Sirius one-ups him. He's been stuck in the house for months. The Ministry's after him. Voldemort knows he's an Animagus. He's had to interact with Snape. Their chat is interrupted by Fred and George levitating in dinner with those disastrous consequences. Molly's about at her wit's end. She's also in a very tense way with Sirius. The overview of um, potential Boggarts and Doxy-infested curtains does not improve his mood. Uh, Tonks 
provides in-meal entertainment by changing the shape of her nose on command. The other half of the table tries to game out which side the goblins are going to go for. Dung's telling war stories from the criminal underworld of which he is a part. At the end of the meal, Harry half accuses, or Sirius half accuses Harry of not caring what's going on with Voldemort. Harry explains he was told he was too young to be in the order, which prompts another fight between Sirius and Molly about what the kids should be able to know. Sirius thinks Harry's dealt with more than anyone else has and has a right to know. Uh, Molly thinks Sirius is trying to pretend Harry is James. Lupin, voice of reason, finally chimes in that Harry should have a say in it, and Harry wants to know what's going on. Molly tries to get the rest of the kids out and only succeeds in banishing Jenny to bed. Finally, the questions. Voldemort stayed uh, in hiding because his plans got scuppered. Harry wasn't supposed to survive and Dumbledore wasn't supposed to know he was back. They reckon he's building up an army and the Order is trying to stop him from getting more followers. But the Ministry isn't helping matters. Fudge thinks Dumbledore is building up his own army and angling for a takeover. So a lot of the wizarding community has been convinced that Voldemort's return is a hoax. But Voldemort's not just looking for followers, he's looking for a powerful weapon, something he didn't have the first time. At this, Molly cuts off the conversation and sends everyone to bed. 154.10. Close enough. Um, Yeah, so everybody's just kind of irritated this chapter is, I think, the takeaway. Yeah. No one really leaves this chapter happy. No, they had a nice dinner all planned out. They were all together, and yet everyone's just pissed. It's an unpleasant family Thanksgiving. Indeed. Um, So, BJ, what are you wheezing about? Um, I have a a handful of things to wheeze about. Uh, The top of the order is... Hmm. Does Tonks improve? Because now, right now, Tonks is just kind of like barely slapstick comedy. Tonks does and improve markedly, yes. Yeah. Like, I like I know that, that she has to, but like... Yeah. It's kind of like, all right, she, something's got to gotta give here. She she is she is a surprising stereotype of, you know, like the... Um, oh, what, what, what's the term for like, you know, the dream girl that forces a guy to go out and do exciting, adventurous things and it's also kind of cute and clumsy? Uh, manic, manic pixie yeah, dream girl. Yeah, she's got yeah. an element of of that. I she's imagine a- that that's not going to change. <laughs> um, I guess we'll see. I don't. I think that we are getting a weird introduction to her. We don't see all that much of her going forward. Although we do see we do see her many more times, and um, I do think that we get some character development. I kind of wonder now that I'm thinking about this. I would bet that she is suffering from being one of the youngest members of the Order of the Phoenix, that that is kind of getting to her. Um, other than, like, Bill and Charlie, but I think there's probably a little bit of a difference in she, being a Weasley and not in this situation. So her clumsiness and meaning well but kind of messing things up is effectively trying too hard to try to impress? I think that she is that anyway, but I think that she mm-hmm. leans into it in a sort of, like... Well, I have to have, I have to have a thing that distinguishes me here. Mm-hmm. Um, She's operating at an eleven to yes. fit in. That that would be that's my generous reading of what's going on here. Um, it is entirely possible that she's just one note. <laughs> well, she she's certainly likable. It's just aspects of her were just almost reaching a parody yeah. level this chapter. They were dialed up. The other question that I have. That, that isn't related to questions, which is more related to wheezes, and I don't really want an answer, is <laughs> did people become excited about Tonks with the books or with the movie? Because I could see there be... Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and I'll leave it there. So uh, into my normal wheezing, um, we have a fascinating use of a colon that I don't really know what's going on here. Um, I'm not going to force any of you to flip through your books, uh, and some interesting comma usage. Uh, 
so not far into the chapter, we have Mrs. Mm-hmm. Weasley talking here, comma, dear, comma, end quote, said Mrs. Weasley, comma, sounding exasperated, comma, and she repaired the part, she, yeah, repaired the parchment with a wave of her wand, colon, and the flash of light caused by Mrs. Weasley's charm, comma, Harry caught a glimpse of what looked like the plan of a building, period. This may be one of the only times, BJR, where I actually even highlighted that colon and went, couldn't that just be a period? Our listeners can't see me, but I am shaking my head in dismay um, at this finding. I, that I, is so actually what, materially wrong. What I really wonder what happened is if there was a typographical error or something like yeah. that, when I'm guessing an OCR went over this and was just <laughs> like, well, whoops, and no <laughs> one read it to proofread for the Kindle version. Yeah, let me... I'm going to look at that real fast. It is impressive, the relative level of quality, how much it varies on a Kindle version versus that's, a print that's version. That's true, of where yeah. Th- yeah. There are some possibly. real shit Kindle versions I've run and across. As, I mean, but this as is... someone who has had to, who has like been involved in helping people self-publish in both print-on-demand and um, Kindle mm-hmm. versions, it is, it is shocking how different those versions can be when you are uploading versions of the same file into into yeah. the publishing system um i'm trying to find this line just to see if in it, it, oh, it's I like found two it. pages in maybe yeah no that's a colon uh, that's that was intentional well it still could be a typo but <laughs> it's wrong <laughs> it's everywhere it's typo we're just it's gonna a, say it's a jk rolling yeah. typo and hope for that's the best. a that's a weird one um the screaming is kind of entertaining that I think this is one of the few times that we've really gotten all caps. Um, and I'm just gonna, my head cannon is this has to be magic enhanced because I don't think we've gotten yelling. We've had people screaming. We've had people yelling, but I, I don't remember it being all caps like this. I think Harry was uh, in all caps last chapter for a hot minute. Okay. Um, but this seems to be a new book five development. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the darker, edgier world of Harry Potter. Everyone's yelling and pissed off Maybe all the time. Maybe Molly has cast the same spell on herself that is used to make howlers work. That <laughs> that, that would be on brand. Um, the other thing that I'm going to have to point out about this um, is the end of this tirade, which is just because you're allowed to use magic now, you don't have to whip out your wands for every tiny little thing. It just... It needed to be pointed out, and it needed to be said. Did it? Um, So, are you guys familiar with the word doxies? Uh, In terms of another word for prostitutes, Mm -hmm. or loose women, essentially? So, the curtains in there are full of doxies, too. I thought we might try and tackle them tomorrow. I look forward to it, said Sirius. Harry heard the sarcasm in his voice, but was not sure that anybody else did. I feel like that one was intentional. I something's got to be going on here. I feel like J.K. Rowling means something else, but I don't know what else she could mean. And I don't know. Maybe Fred and George are getting a little freer with their wands. I just who knows? Here. Sirius put out the red light. <laughs> that, that that one just straight up felt like this is going to make the parents chuckle to themselves while they're reading to their kids. That's fair enough. And I will say that this comparison is better than the autocorrect in my note taking that put it as Dixie's, um, That's which as thing. someone living in the South is <laughs> uncomfortable with. Hmm. So 
uh, yeah, that, that's most of what I have. I have a lot of things to talk about uh, and ask questions about, uh, but those are those are my wheezes. I mean, we're, we're getting back into sort of middle chapter mm-hmm. things where, you know, it's very variable. Sure. Um, but, but yeah. Newbie, and increasingly this... other newbie notes. Yes. <laughs> this did very much feel like a middle trans- transitory yeah. chapter of where it was, okay, everyone's together, I can't reveal all the plot now, so we'll hint at a few details and we'll go from there. They'll learn more as the story goes on. It This one kind of felt on the nose in that way, so it definitely didn't make my favorite mm-hmm. chapter, but I did write some things down. We did learn two, nor- two uh, seemingly new magical things of where, uh, BJ, you previously made reference to wizard superglue, which that's a thing we now know exists, and <laughs> as you noted, could have a lot of potential uses. Surprised we haven't seen that used as some form of, you know, prank previously in this. Well, Fred and George are here studying. They're really on a research trip. I mean, of everybody that should know about that, Fred and George are like the last people. (laughs) I mean, and and also, I feel like this is sort of one of those spells that gets tossed out and everybody ignores because if you don't ignore it, it's a, this 100% would be the Quidditch team takes somebody either that's not performing well in the Quidditch team or just somebody else that they're harassing and then just like sticks them up somewhere. Sure. Yeah. I do. I like to think about Mrs. Black living at home alone in this house after all of the rest of her family has left. And she is a truly terrible person as we will continue to learn. Um, But that she has like ordered this super glue spell off of the equivalent of wizard wizard QVC. <laughs> I mean, yes, that feels like yes, this is, is where it comes from, right? And she like sees some sort of it's probably in the Daily Prophet, <laughs> some sort of what, what's ad in the, the back. Pages. The tape thing that you can just sort of like slap over everything. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, the one they show on yeah. like wet surfaces, filling holes and holding yeah. bricks together and whatever. I I'm pretty sure that this is the wizard equivalent of that. I think when Gorilla Glue first came out, like it was sort of a similar thing. And then it then it was like, oh, this is actually useful for other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. the, the constant product sold by the ShamWow and Billy Mays kind correct. of guys. Yeah, I was going to say, so what's the equivalent of ShamWow or, or uh, you know, a slap chop in the... Whatever the Weasley twins will be selling later on in their lives. No, 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 no. Because, because their stuff is funny. The ShamWow isn't funny. It's... The ads were. <laughs> sure. I, I don't think intentionally so, though. <laughs> I don't know. I feel uh, like Mrs. Yep. Weasley is the one to ask about the ShamWow. That feels like uh, something she like bought a, a, and decided she could do better. That That's something that somebody bought for her. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think on. an auto broom cleaner would be a wizard QVC. Yeah. Well, our, our other spell we got, which I don't think we got before, was... An, Sarah, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Evanesco, mm-hmm. which basically it seems to make objects vanish. If it literally just is scrolls vanish, that's very <laughs> precise. But it's almost definitely going to make stuff vanish. I mean, evanescence mm-hmm. or that yeah. root is. I mean, probably it will. If she's really referencing that, it'll pop back at some point, and it was just like Harry, don't pay attention to that because this is a thing. <laughs> um, um, we also are going to spend more time with that. Not really a new character, but just more time with him. Mundungus. Yeah. Nick, nickname Dung. And if you if you know people that have actually voluntarily accepted a nickname Dung, 
That's already saying things about I them. think that Sirius Black doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I, I don't know that other people... He like, apparently does. He keeps inviting him. him. Call him dumb? Um, uh, hmm. I think it was just Sirius. It might be. And I wonder if anybody else ever ever calls I him I can't dumb, remember if, like, they... if that nickname specifically comes up again in the rest of the series. Because we, we do see Mundungus Fl- Fletcher again. I don't know what we're calling him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, what he stands for is interesting. The actual process of him is difficult. <laughs> it is well, nice to have the idea of a, of a character that operates in the criminal world and give us a bit of a lens and the idea that there is a criminal underbelly beyond just simply stuff that you can pick up at a pub. That's previously all we got through Hagrid. I guess. But. He's just, he's just super shitty. <laughs> like. The, this is kind of what I mean. Yeah. But, but A, he's super shitty. And also, he's incomprehensible. I had to read back through his like story four times. And I'm still not entirely sure what happened. I think that's part of the joke is that he's just drunk mumbling and everyone's going, ah, ah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's a lot. We have, we have a lot of other things that I think, you know, some belong in question, some belong here. Spencer, how excited were you for Lupin being a, in the chapter and also like shepherding Harry into things <laughs> standing up for himself, like all sorts of, of not really Lupin things. Well, that's not true. Bringing Harry in is a very Lupin mm-hmm. thing, but like... The, the new thing was Lupin stepping in between people and trying to keep peace and trying to manage other people like that. That's the aspect of him we haven't seen quite as much, and that was heavily at play here. If we're pretty much just telling people, you, a lot of, a lot of the rest of us care about him, serious, sit the mm-hmm. hell down. Yeah. That was a direct confrontational element of Lupin that... Hasn't been as common. He's been much more passive in the past. But you can also see like where that would would have come into play in a lot of his like previous existences, right? So with yeah, mm-hmm. um, with the Marauders and that group of four friends, like you know that Sirius and James are going at each other sometimes, and then you have the added thing of like Snape in the way. Um, like this feels like a natural extension of who he is in his past. Yeah. yeah, Lupin, Lupin the Peacemaker. That that's a title yeah. that sticks. And I guess we also had a speaking of James, sort of an interesting and somewhat uncomfortable interaction between Sirius and Harry that Harry didn't didn't quite pick up on because he's a kid. But that was weird. Like the well, he could be basically a James replacement for mm-hmm. me, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. And Harry's like, yeah, that sounds great. And everybody's just like, hold yeah. up. Yeah, I was pretty with Sirius for most of that conversation. I thought Molly's heart was in the right place, but she was being a bit overbearing about it, particularly the, the emphasizing the line of what Harry needs mm-hmm. to know, which I was almost surprised Harry didn't jump in with that one, given how much that is a, a bell ringer for him. But when Sirius went to the, oh, no, I see my nephew as my best friend replacement, I went, oh, shit, Molly's reading this a bit more accurately than I thought. Yeah, it's, that's a, such an interesting conversation, and I wanted to make sure to at least like flag it in the recap because I was with you, Spencer. I think that Sirius sounded completely reasonable in this. He's sticking up for Harry. This is also aligns with what Harry wants. Um, it, makes the, it makes the most sense. And then, yeah, this real pivot point in this conversation where it is clear that Molly has actually hit this deeply disturbing motivation of Sirius's directly on the nose. Super interesting. Yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, we, we've talked about in, in passing what 
has happened to Sirius, but like he basically stepped out of the world with the loss of his best friend mm-hmm. and at, at like age 17 or something or 19 and or early something. 20s but yeah it was like 21 yeah, 22 like, yeah relatively it, young yeah. and stepped back in when his best friend's his godson is 12 and so it's like he's not an adult but like he's getting to at that point where you can closer to treat him as an mm-hmm. adult and it's just a, all right, well, all things are concerning here. It, it leads to one of the other points I was going to make, too, and it kind of maybe informs a bit of where Molly's coming from. Sirius's feelings of being cooped up are so mirroring Harry's and mirroring their kind of emotional response to them. You can see the similarities between their characters, and you can also probably understand a certain degree of Molly's concerns of, okay, these two maybe need to not grow off each other, because Serious, you're we appreciate your help, but you are not a healthy person in so many ways. Yeah, and maybe we don't want to have uh, Harry directly learning from his uncle in this regard. Yeah, um, it, it, in terms of healthy relationships, though, it was interesting to see a degree of tension between um, I Molly and Arthur that we haven't really seen previously. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. thought we'd honestly get the line. She exchanged a frightened look at her husband when she mentions Percy. Well, she didn't want to like bring up all the bad blood going on, and I think she didn't. She doesn't know where he's at mm-hmm. because he hasn't right. talked about it. Which I think that's new for them. I suspect. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I agree. I think in some ways it's just they don't. She. This is something that's been such a dead area. It's been such an off limits topic of discussion. She doesn't know where the line is. She doesn't know how she can touch this. And is afraid that any degree of even referencing it is a potential live wire issue from Arthur of all people, who we never would expect would have those kind of angry potential explosive lines. Yeah, but new territory mm-hmm. for all involved. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, and I don't think he's had anything like this in his life. And while it's kind of a surprise, Percy's the worst. And I, I think I've been saying this for five books now, but <laughs> but I think that Arthur didn't know that like all he knew was about percy's achievements and percy being you know a little bit weird at home kind of but like Mm -hmm. how much you want to bet also that percy and molly probably really got along well yeah i think Mm, i think that percy was the least difficult child and so getting along i think is very different than they had fewer problems in their relationship how about that maybe not not as many highs but certainly none of the lows yeah I wonder what Molly and Ginny's relationship is like, because I think there was like an, oh, thank God, we have a girl. Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, it doesn't lot. seem to have progressed beyond that, which is yeah. sort of another weird thing that we get. Like, Ginny's the only one that gets sent out of the room, which I... Well, let's get to the sending out of the room thing here in a yeah. second, because that's weird. Uh, last point for that, goblin neutrality. I kind of actually appreciated that discussion and wanted to see more of that because that's exactly my kind of, you know, strategic bailey look I like to like to think about. It almost reminded me of like, you know, in current events, how do we get India more involved in the Ukraine situation kind of thing? But it was also the like we we got let in on something wild, which will show up in questions uh, in like a throwaway line that everybody kind of were like, yep, OK, like that was a thing. Uh, and of, of everybody, 
Hermione said absolutely nothing. So I think she's spewed out maybe, or just <laughs> well, like, there's just too much going on. Like, yeah. I don't know. She hasn't ever, she hasn't really been that invested in goblins uh, that we've seen previously. Uh, maybe she's a little bit racist and, you know. Well, it, it was interesting to even have the characters point out that, hey, goblins actually have some legitimate grievances. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a potential live wire issue of where this is in some ways the abused, oppressed population that we rely on and have, could have a lot of potential influence. How do we keep them from committing to somebody if they promise to make their lives mm-hmm. better? Yeah. Which that is a topic that comes up in a lot of different ways. And but and also I might lend some weird credence to people being really uncomfortable with Dumbledore because I think he's one of the few people that has been pushing for normalizing giant relations. Mm-hmm. If I remember Correct. correctly, yeah. a, a lot, a lot of non-human race mm-hmm. relations, it seems. Um, and so, I, I have a feeling that some of this trying to under undercut Dumbledore is a, if he brings them in, he's essentially the most powerful wizard, period, mm-hmm. and whether or not he wants to become the first minister of magic or whatever the title is now, I don't remember, like he might be forced into that role basically if he does something like mm-hmm. that. Right. If entire species are effectively beholden to yeah. him or have a, a loyal support group, he has a massive colossal amount of power that's previously not been taken into account in the wizarding world. And essentially undercutting the main pathway that a lot of people think that Voldemort is going to get his strength. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, through this recruitment um, of sort of non-human magical creatures. Yeah. Which is going to be super interesting because my bet is that the Ministry of Magic is just like waving everybody off and doing absolutely nothing in that sector. <laughs> um, all right, Molly. Molly's position on Harry, the kids, any open discussion of Voldemort is almost impenetrable to me other than just to assume that she's being her usual protective mommy bear self. Um she is utterly trying to shut down discussion where, from any logical stance I'm looking at it, the war's already started. He's already out there in the world. I can't see any reason why these kids shouldn't know more. And all she really offers here is Dumbledore told us not to, which doesn't provide any degree of guidance because even she doesn't know why. She straight, but, up sa- she straight up says Dumbledore must have his reasons. But also, she doesn't know. Dumbledore said, like, any more than he needs to know. So it's like super like i'm leaving this up to your discretion of what he needs to know which is like the most dumbledore line to take in this yes yeah discussion in the first place and i'm also curious who he said it to or like it was it in a meeting yeah because that's a a good question like if he says it to lupin it's very different than he says it if he says it to sirius than if he says it to arthur or molly and completely wild if he says it to somebody like Mundungus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in terms of interpreting that phrase, we kind of get the two different poles of how to interpret it in Molly and Sirius. If we're Sirius' interpretation, that is, well, he needs to know everything. Molly's interpretation is, he needs to be sheltered from everything. Right. Which, and again, it, I, I think that Molly is in denial that basically of all of the events at the end of last book. I think that she understands that that's something that adults need to deal with, but like it feels like she does not want to accept that Harry has went 
went through a shit ton of trauma and kind of knows is the person that knows what's going on in that respect if, if her objective is to try to prevent harry from having bad dreams she lost that bout in like book two i mean this guy's already gone through the ringer he's endured serious points out he's gone through a lot more than most of the members of the order of the phoenix have maybe all yeah. of them but she seems to be coming from the very common parent position of my job is to protect my ch- protect my children, which she heartwarmingly views Harry as one of them, mm-hmm. from anything that the world can throw at them. And now that they're in a position of war, that's not necessarily the most practical position to take, even if it is an understandable one, I suppose. And I think she's leaning more towards shelter than protect. But, sure. but I think it's sort of because they kind of know what going through the years of Dumbledore or, or Voldemort is like, mm-hmm. and it's a, like, you don't want your kids around it. Yeah, so what? I think, you know, I was trying to figure out if we get it in the next chapter, and I think it's actually later in in this book, but we get more, um, we get more nuance about what's going on with Molly Weasley in this moment. It does, I think, I think that this conversation is really interesting because, like, it does get... Um, it does get to, uh, like, a lot of, uh, the heart of the issue, which is Molly's need, I think, to shelter, to shelter and protect, as well as her experience of the first, um, the first Wizarding War. But there's, there are, like, nuances of her personality in what is actually going on that is, I think, more interesting and complicated than she's taking this mother position and that's what she does, um... And we get let into those a little bit later, but like I think it's actually really important in this chapter and this early in the book that she does seem like just this sort of blockade of no, I'm taking this position, and this is the position I'm taking. But like sh- she is actually spinning out of control right now. And I, we can see that she's definitely more on tilt than we've ever really seen her before. And as we kind of already noted, there's a certain aspect of this that she she feels almost like that she's jousting with Sirius about who will be the greater influence yes. on Harry in the future. Yeah. Um, and I'll save for questions the topic on the subject of the history between the two of them or whether they are just anti-matter. <laughs> um, but the, it, it's interesting to see her just go so all out in another person because we've never really seen mm-hmm. her do that before. As many of her attacks on Sirius were... She was hitting him a lot more than he was hitting her. Yeah, yeah. And whether uh, that's justified or not, you know, there, there are valences to that. But it is it is how this chapter played out, certainly. Um, in terms of subject of their discussion as well, uh, we get reference to stuff he can only get by stealth in terms of what Voldemort has planned after he engages in his recruiting, which is vaguely referred to as a weapon that he didn't have last time. And we're about to find out more, but apparently this is a line in the sand that even Molly's not willing to compromise on. Particularly Molly's mm-hmm. not willing to compromise on. Because the moment she walks in and finds them doing this, she gives them a look, she gives them a word, and the conversation stops. So clearly this is important. Clearly this is going to come up again in this book or later. But we're just going to have to put a pin in it. I get another. Di- I have to find a different color to use in the assembly of colors for my wall of lines and yarn (laughs) i mean it's kind of weird that she sort of wandered out as they you know sort of approaching the crux of the matter of like what's going on and just not like expecting everybody to toe the line that she put down um but she was not expecting arthur not to take her side yeah Yeah. 
she she clearly thought that Arthur would back her side and that would end the discussion. And when he just kind of sighs and says, no, the kid's got to kind of know. And also, you can't really order your oldest sons around anymore. <laughs> or your middle sons around anymore. I think that the dynamic of Molly and Arthur and their children changed a lot with the revelations about Percy. Hmm. And I think that more than many others, Percy was sheltered from a lot of things. Um, just because of like who he was and and uh, in terms of like he was such a high achiever a high achiever at, at Hogwarts that he probably didn't get some of the discipline that the other ones got for things that he should have mm. probably because in some ways maybe he wasn't Molly's favorite but it's just like well we can let the side he's doing really well yeah. at school you know like every and he, and now Arthur is just like wait a minute like. He was easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, it's easy to ignore this problem, but that's not the way that this is going to resolve well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm fine with bending there and going on to uh, winners and losers and questions. Sarah, who won this chapter? I don't know. Everybody's mad at the end of this chapter. <laughs> no, see, I think I we have like... a clear loser. Okay. Well, maybe not clear loser. I think, I think the biggest loser, because, like, Everybody's sort of angry at each other, but, yeah. like, I think Ginny's a big loser. Like, she has just gotten, like, <laughs> Fair, you yeah. have nothing to do with anything, and nobody, go to your room, the adult, yeah. you know, the adults are talking, and the adults are six months older yeah. than you are. Like, that- literally yeah. only, <laughs> Molly had to get one concession in this whole thing, and Jenny was yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, Jenny. You have to look at funny faces at dinner, and now it's time Real for Real low man on the totem pole here. I'm I'm actually fine with that. Everybody else had a kind of back and forth, and and won some things and lost some things. Jenny just got sent out. Yeah, but I I still want a winner though. Got to give me somebody that won. Uh, well, by some yeah, definition. I think it probably is Lupin, right? Um, I mean, we could say Tonks just because like she skated through without being scarred in this situation at all. <laughs> she didn't actively lose a finger. <laughs> But, I mean, I do feel like Lupin comes out the best positioned in this sort of merry band of cursed house cleaners. Um, I mean, he, he's sort of in, like, a weird position as leader. Yes. Like, he, like, he's That's maybe fair. not, like, the one everybody would choose, but, like, he's sort of the, the coolest head in the yeah. house, and... And has the authority, yeah, basically. Yeah, without Dumbledore there, um, certainly. You know, I think we have a bunch of other people who are are playing interesting and important and discreet roles with Arthur going to the ministry and kind of still being, yeah. being an inside man at the ministry, even as he is being kind of shunted to the side because of the politics at play there. Um, we have apparently Snape coming in and out and doing his thing. The same with Bill and Charlie. Um the mm-hmm. same with Tonks, really. And all of these other members are kind of going in and out. Sirius is sidelined. And Molly is, for all of the reasons we talked a little bit about last episode, is also kind of relegated to this weird den mother position as well. Actually, yeah. she and Sirius probably have a lot more in common and a lot more common grievances <laughs> than they would care to admit or talk about in this moment. Um yeah. So the, it has to be Lupin, right? And that, I think, really comes out in this chapter. And the other thing that 
I I can't come to terms with is Lupin's age, and I still he's so much younger than I feel that he, he is. Yeah, he's like yeah. our age, really. <laughs> right? Is, is is he even he our should, age? Yeah, he should be because he would have yeah, been in be. his early twenties too when Harry was born. It, it, so he would it, be. It's been fourteen years. Late, yeah. yeah, like thirty six to thirty eight, maybe. He acts like a, de- a decade and a half, two decades older than that in terms yeah. of his bearing and calm He feels wisdom. like he's in his 50s I think 60s. being a werewolf will do that to you. Doesn't sleep well. It's a, yeah. r- it's a rough night. He, he has some combination of dog years and human years going on. And, <laughs> oh, you know, it's just it's really easy. complicated math, actually. <laughs> um, he ages I mean, I, seven times faster every new moon. But then so. it's a leap year and... Um, I... Fully expect there to be actual volumes written on the subject of this in Harry Potter. Oh fandom. boy! Well, we have I've I've shown you the academic research in sort of that happens in law circles around in legal circles around <laughs> yeah. the unforgivable curses. There is perhaps an algorithm that some what? somebody has come up I, with. I will offer I will offer one honorable. I like Lupin. I think Lupin's a good pick for a winner. Honorable mention, though, I would say would may actually be Harry. Yeah, because this is I think the only time in the entire series that. There has been a conscious effort to treat Harry as an adult by well, adults. Dumbledore does. Dum- Dumbledore does what Dumbledore does. This is right, a conscious like, discussion that was yeah, happening. And by Harry like other yeah. adults. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. The only reason, I think that's a really good point, Spencer. The only reason that I would not go with him is that he is actually so passive in this chapter that yeah. it, that state of affairs comes to being by literally no action of his own. Yeah, that was one of the things that also, I wouldn't say put me off. It just kind of took me out of this chapter to a certain degree of where Harry was such an active character for like the last two or three mm-hmm. chapters. And this chapter, he's back to a camera yeah. lens of where he's ch- chiming in various and then mm-hmm. kind of comments. But he's just having a discussion already occurring. He's just encouraging it yeah. along. I'm going to go with he's half asleep right now. He, he like, may be. Had a really long day, is really full and things are happening, and he's just like, yeah. Like, I, 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 I've I, been deflated from being super angry and have a full meal. I'm trying to stay awake and process. We've all, we've all been yeah. there. I think it's telling about kind of the mindset that Harry's developing of where when uh, Fred and George brought in the pot and they brought in the, 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 the loaf of bread and the, uh, the cutting board, and the knife nearly impales uh, Sirius as it's flying and everything else, Everybody else is freaked out. Harry and Sirius are just mm-hmm. laughing. They're just like, is this what kills me? Sure, this yeah, <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, questions? Um, okay, we kind of referenced this one pre- a little bit previously, but th- we have a list of accolades that are being taken away from Dumbledore. Yeah. In ter- we don't have to go through individually what they are necessarily, but in terms of what actual practical effect the sidelining of Dumbledore is having... How much, you know, in terms that you can explain to us, has he been diminished in the eyes of the wizarding world or in practical hard power in the world? I, it's, that's such an interesting question because Dumbledore is, as we just said, a variation of what we just said. Dumbledore is what Dumbledore is in the world. Yeah. Uh, It has very, his, his influence, sway, and kind of, um, imaginative power in the world has very little to do with these kind of paltry accolades of that power. he might have, yeah, <laughs> that he might have have gotten, um, and so you know, I would say that his influence and power has not been 
has not really been diminished at all, certainly through those actions. The consistent campaign that is being leveraged by the ministry and the Daily Prophet to discredit him and Mm -hmm. cast him as a kind of doddering fool, I don't think the latter part of that is working because I think that people, whether they like him or not, know that Dumbledore is a force to be reckoned with and continues to be. But I do think that we are seeing a shift in where people think that, where sort of um, lay people in the wizarding world think that power is coming from and being directed. Um, They're fighting over the silent majority right now. Um, So I don't, and like I said, I referenced in our last episode as well, we get a little bit more of a sense of how this is materially playing out in the world when students come back to Hogwarts and start talking about kind of what they have read and what their parents have been talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. But Dumbledore has always wanted to operate on the edges and he continues to do so. But I think that, you know, it's because he has always wanted to be in that kind of liminal space of power and not power, or of hard power and soft power, essentially. Um, it's tricky for the ministry and the papers and the media to get a handle on how to actually divest him of that power and influence in ways that actually work. They've gotten so used to just simply ignoring him for so long, actually trying to take him seriously to confront him is probably a bit of a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And they're coming up, I think, head-on with the... Like the, the the way in which Dumbledore looms large in the public conscience and consciousness of the wizarding world. I mean, and it's kind of crazy that like, and we talk a little bit about this, but he has trained basically every living and wizard. And this becomes a real, as you can imagine, or at least this becomes Britain. a real like, but... uh, point of anxiety for Corn- one Cornelius Fudge moving forward. Guy's got a very a potential... Imagine Cornelius' Fudge perspective is, this guy can summon an army if he wants to, and it's just a matter of time until he does. um, And he probably sees the Order of the Phoenix as just that. Yeah, which is, you know, probably smart that they're trying to operate in the shadows as much as possible here. Also really interesting that the person heading up the investigation for Sirius, is it, like, in the Order of the Uh Phoenix? And kind of like a, how big is the Order of the Phoenix right now? It's who we've been introduced to. Okay. Yeah, so it's like um, uh, 10, 12 Relatively people. small. Yeah. yeah. Right. And half Weasley. <laughs> yes. As yes, the Weasleys do have the majority share here. They can, in fact, force decisions um, as a voting block. In, in, a, in about 200 to 300 years, are there non-Weasley wizards? <laughs> We're going into exponential growth standards here? Well, we actually get a a weird conversation about this topic in the next chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Making a note for that one. I'm I'm here for that discussion. Interesting. Um, Uh, Well, derivative of that question, it seems like Dumbledore has always been the heart of resistance against Voldemort ever since Voldemort was a mm -hmm. thing. Have there been, do we know whether there have been active efforts to, you know, decapitate the leadership, to take Dumbledore? Because it seems like Dumbledore has been such an intimidating presence that what would otherwise seem like a pretty obvious tactic of, if you kill Dumbledore, all of this seems like it falls mm-hmm. apart. But it, 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 from the descriptions, it just seems like they've just been so 
cow would buy them, they've never really seriously considered that. Yeah, I don't think, as far as I know, there has not been, like, a serious consideration of any sort of assassination plot for Dumbledore or anything like that. And I, I think that it's because of the, like, true mystique around him. Um, it's like... But even peak, Voldemort's Yeah, him. it's peak. I, I feel like, in their heart of hearts, anyone who wants to, wants it to come after him is deep in the, if you come at the king, you best not miss... I was hoping you'd yeah. reference that. Yes, because uh, that uh, Dumbledore has reeled that energy to me. Yeah, there's a lot of beware of the anger of a quiet man kind of going on yeah. in Dumbledore. That man ever gets properly roused and pissed. Pity the fool. <laughs> it's a perfectly legitimate word, BJ. <laughs> I mean, Since he's mentored so said, many of these students. Like, you just have no idea what's going to come out. It of was also Dumbledore. roused, not the other one anyway. Moving swiftly onwards. Um. How British is this? Like, so is, is the Wizarding it's all War? Of it. No, no, but is, was, is the Wizarding War like all encompassing oh. because we have a British standpoint oh, gotcha. and people observed and took sides? But mm. was there a front in Germany happening during the prior Wizarding War? Yeah, I mean, like, did this go any beyond? maybe the borders of Ireland like I, I don't remember or Scotland I don't remember where Hogwarts is itself but like yeah it's in Scotland um so I think that the, like the Voldemort phenomenon was pretty is pretty UK specific as far as that wizarding war went however as these things happen there were kind of some there have been Voldemort-esque dark wizards that have ar- arisen in different locations sure right yeah um right and so and we can see we can see some of the how that gets kind of the borders get a little blurry in this too as we as we saw in the last book with karkaroff um yeah yeah. that's where i sort of figured like we had somebody a little bit like you know, Bolsonaro or something like yeah. that, where, like, he's heavily aligned with certain factions, but, like, he's not a real major player, mm-hmm. but you just want to make sure that, like, he's not going to do anything batshit crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, is this guy Bolsonaro, or is he a Putin in terms of his degree of international influence? Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's sort of where... Um, but I do, I, I think that pro- probably... I I think that the first Wizard War was UK-specific... But unclear where that would have led if not for Voldemort's untimely banishment from his body. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this sort of feels a little bit like, um, I mean, many other wars that are sort of encompassing for an I mean, not unlike maybe the Revolutionary War or yeah. Civil War in the yeah. U.S. where a lot of people sort of were watching with a lot of interest. Yes. Um, or their moment. maybe like Napoleon in France where people might have been concerned about like what he's going to be doing. He sort of did a bunch of other stuff, but still relatively localized. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, so, okay. That makes sense. Um, onto a, 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 well, not really lighter, but more focused. Why is Mundungus a thing? Why hasn't somebody killed him? He is, he is like insanely terrible, he's terrible. For, for for like what he is and what he's doing. Like he's out loud wondering if he can steal the you know the silver, silver. black silver. Like what? He's, 
What, He's like, the worst. What, he, I think the assumption is the man's got connections. That yeah, you know, we're, I mean, we're gonna like need... he's got connections, but like Hagrid's animal purveyor has got to have connections and is probably not as shitty a person. And also, I mean, this is one of the few times, and and you know, I guess we we see the king slipping, uh, where Dumbledore has put his faith in somebody that has been misplaced. At least as far as we There's... know. We, we've seen a few times where Dumbledore's faith in somebody in the short term has caused problems or difficulties. I, I don't think that Dumbledore would have co-signed a Dementor attack. I think even Dumbledore was caught off guard that that was even on the table as a possibility. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, Mundungus? Then no, he wasn't caught off guard with that because he was saying the Dementors are the first ones that are going to go over to Voldemort's side. So, like... Mm, I yeah, know. I mean, hell, what was Mundungus going to do if he'd been there? Patronum? Expecto I, Patronum? And, and we, we have no reason to think that Mundungus is even halfway competent. Yeah, we have seen none of, none of Mundungus' right, but, but I guess ability. that's my point. Yeah. I, Mundungus is one of those weird and mysterious figures in these books that gets very little explanation done and comes in and causes chaos. <laughs> We've got a few of those. Add him to the list. Okay. All right. Uh, um, Molly and Sirius, do the two of them have any, this is going to be a somewhat multi-part, but it starts with, did the two of them have any history really before they're kind of now being stuck in this house? Not, together? not really. No. Um, they are at each other to the point that either they've got history or they are just anti-matter and matter meeting in terms of, I mean, as you guys kind of referenced, they're in some ways right now being forced to be, you know, two sides of the same coin, just still totally opposite mm-hmm. from each other of where they're stuck in a house they both very much care about Harry. They both feel kind of powerless, at least off kilter right now, compared to what they would prefer to be doing. And they're forced to be present with each other. I imagine degree. that the Weasleys basically have had almost no contact with any other characters that we're getting. And the only reason that they do is because Ron and Harry are friends. Hmm. Like, these aren't people that they've really interacted with before because they never run in the same circles and they're different ages. Yes. Um, yeah, correct. There was very little, there was really no overlap between, um, well, you know, the, the place that they might have overlapped is in being part of the Order of the Phoenix for the First Wizard War. Mm-hmm. Talk no. amongst yourselves for a minute. I'm going <laughs> to... BJ, if you have to guess, what would you say was the age difference between, you know, Molly and Arthur and, like, Sirius and Lupin? I mean, they're like, what? At least 10 years older, maybe even more than that? Probably even more than that, because unless they had Bill basically right out of Hogwarts. How, how much older is Bill compared to, you know, like, Ron? He's, he's about 10 or 11 years older, I suppose, right? Uh, maybe even more than that, because he's the oldest, maybe. and Charlie is outdoing things, so... And Percy just graduated I, like, two years yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean... So, so, so if we're talking minimum, but like it doesn't feel like minimum. Bill feels a little, a bit more settled than like mid twenties. I, like I feel like maybe older twenties, well, and that that puts them well, closer to fifty-ish, fifty well, something. It's interesting to think about Bill then actually being a peer, practically, of you know Lupin and Sirius. Like that would put Bill at almost the same age as them. I think so I think that those older well, kids no, were like a, were born closer together. Um, so I think if we if Percy is now twenty, 
because he graduated and has been out of school for two years, right? I think that... And then Charlie's like 22, 20, 22 to Bill 24. Bill is maybe 24 to 26. Okay. But Charlie is between them. Yes. Yeah, okay. but I think there's only Bill a year to a little two bit years between that, all sure. of the kids. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. So it, it definitely does place Arthur and Molly in a very separate group that would almost never really have interacted. And probably them having a much greater involvement or much more relative power in the original incarnation of the mm-hmm. Order of the Phoenix than like a Lupin or a Sirius or the they probably had at the time. I also imagine that the original Order of the Phoenix got big. And so even if they participated in it, like it's not like they would know. I imagine it's more like the French underground where it may have been small, but like to start out with, but it got big eventually. And there were a lot of people who wouldn't know everybody else. Well, I think that it's probably another one of those things that is like the, uh, the Death Eaters versus the Supporters. Right, who counts as a mm. member of the Order of the Phoenix versus who is supportive of Dumbledore and that order? Um, yeah, because what I was what I was looking for is at some point later in this book we get um, we get a picture of a description of a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. Um, gotcha. And it it kind of goes through all of the members and what happened to them and where they are now and all of that kind of stuff. So I also wonder to what degree Molly reads the. Daily Prophet quite a bit. Yes. She's influenced by it to a certain degree and only had only so much reason to actually believe that Sirius wasn't a murderer until pretty recently. I think she's still coming to terms so, with that, yeah. So that could be informing a little bit of where she's come, the hostility too, of where she's had a lot of years about thinking this guy that she kind of vaguely knew was an asshole and now only has so many days of thinking otherwise. It's hard to rewire those mental circuits. She's probably also still reading the Daily Prophet every day, too. And also, not only a murderer, but one of the traitor. major... Yeah, a traitor yeah. in the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, BJ, do you have any more questions, or are we good for now? Uh, I think we're good for now. Cool. So next week, or next episode, we next chapter, whatever it is we're doing next year, we have the... All of those. <laughs> the noble... We have a disturbing picture of an elf butt, essentially. <laughs> Uh, with a chapter titled The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. That is a gnarled, woodeny creature that is on that picture right there, other than the exceptionally hairy ears. Yep. So, um, anyway, we have that to look forward to. Okay, well, between that and learning further mysteries, I'm definitely looking forward to it, y'all. Till next Good time. Fun, guys.